Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, the number one podcast for people who have Lyme disease and those who love them. Every journey through Lyme disease is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just won't work. You need some ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 147 with Lyme expert. Well, it's going to be a surprise. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Also, welcome with me to the studio, our show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello. And in this episode, you will learn all about Lyme flares, what you can do to manage your pain, what you can do to finally get some sleep so you can finally start healing, and what you can do to get your symptoms under control and finally start healing. Yes, the big secret, let's let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> oh, oh, oh that, that, that wasn't very long. Aurora is interviewing me for this episode. <laughs> and I had a Lyme flare. Some of you know this if you've been following, and I've dropped hints and not so... Actually, more than hints. Let people know. Yeah, you- yeah, especially at the <laughs> end of the shows. And so things are really going pretty well now, and I almost have full use of my arm. And we just wanted to document what I went through and the different strategies I use for this. Really, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's a very, very annoying, uh, but very minor line flare because it was so isolated. It's isolated basically to one group of nerves. And... My condition has a name. It's called Parsonage-Turner Syndrome. So, Aurora, why don't you do a little introduction for folks and let them know a little bit about me. All right. Well, McKay Rippey was trained to become an acupuncturist at the Traditional Acupuncture Institute. That's the Tia Sophia. Thai Sophia. Thai Sophia. Well, that's what they were named after I went there. (laughs) Of course. Anyway, he graduated with a master's degree in acupuncture in 1992. And as a five-element acupuncturist, he is carefully trained to understand the laws of nature, to diagnose in accordance with those laws, and to work therapeutically to restore balance and harmony. About four years ago, he realized that there are not many research for resources for the increasing number of people with Lyme disease in his local community and started Lyme Ninja Radio as a way to learn more about Lyme disease and provide other people with information. And here we are at number 147. And here we are at number 147. Thanks, Aurora. Everybody, we're kind of on our summer schedule here. I know we're not quite keeping up the, the plan The grand plan, our schedule is to get episodes out on Tuesdays, and we're just utterly failing. Uh, I've I've moved my office. I've got lots of excuses on why this is happening. And and it's summer, and we're spending late nights outside eating barbecue and wonderful things like that. So I hope you can forgive us for our loose schedule and hope you're getting value out of what we're doing. Um, I know I do. Mm-hmm. And the interviews we have have been absolutely fantastic. I, Roar did a great job interviewing me, and I'm sure you'll learn a few things in the interview. So here we go. All right. Well, my first question, because we are talking about the now official stamp on it, reco- full recovery of your arm. Not full. Not full? Not full. <sighs> 
All right. You so have to put a percentage on it. Yeah, let's put a percentage on it. Um, In terms of the 67. range, sixty-seven point five. My sixty-seven point five percent recovered arm. All right, and what's the sixty-five point the sixty-five point seven percent count towards? Are you counting range of motion? Are you counting strength? Or? Well, range of motion has always never been a problem. So okay. passively, so if somebody moved my arm in any direction. You know, we're starting with the specifics here, but does anybody know? People <laughs> probably don't know what happened to me. Yeah. Should we start at the beginning? Well, I think we should. Well, what I remember is you suddenly being in pain. So, like, my question is, when did you first know that, uh-oh, something's amiss? Miss Clavel woke up in the middle of the night. Yes. In retrospect or in real time? In real time. In real time. In real time, I knew something was amiss the second day I had symptoms on my arm. It wasn't pain in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was lack of movement. So the second day I woke up and my arm was completely limp. So I went to move it and it didn't obey my mental command to move. Okay. I literally, it was just hanging down like an empty sleeve at the side of my shoulder. Right. I could wiggle my fingers. Which was good news. I wasn't completely freaked out, just mostly freaked out. Right. So I could move my fingers, but I could not lift my wrist or my hand or my elbow or anything. It just wouldn't, would barely move. Right. Well, and that's very interesting to me. It's very silly, actually, because for two weeks prior, you had been in a considerable amount of pain. Well, that's, see, but that's not true. Okay. Compared to what came after, that's uh-huh. not true. Uh-huh. Uh, up to that point, and I I was having achy shoulder stuff, but, and that wasn't out of the ordinary. So my shoulder was sore. It just felt like I had overused it, and it was complaining. Mm-hmm. So it wanted to be rubbed, and it felt good to be rubbed and massaged. Mm-hmm. You're remembering afterwards when I was in pretty bad pain, and the thing wasn't moving, and I was begging you to rub my shoulder. Yeah. Yes, and then you did. And it made it worse. And it made it worse. It was really scary. And that's because of the inflammation. Yeah. We'll get into what I think was going on a little bit later, but that was inflammation. So Aurora did some really nice deep tissue work, which usually for an achy shoulder kind of thing, releases muscles, make things work better. But because it was so inflamed to begin with, with my Lyme flare. It made it worse. It made it much worse. And I'm sure some of you have had that experience as well. Yeah. Where... A deep massage does make something worse. Now, in addition to that, massage therapists will tell you if you're sick, don't get a massage because it'll make you feel worse, mm-hmm. right? And again, that's because the massage therapy, a deep tissue massage therapy will create inflammation uh, where they're working and systemically as well. And that's one reason why Klinghart out in the West Coast one of the tricks he uses to stir up Lyme disease to make sure the tests come back positive if you indeed have it, is to get a deep tissue massage. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, this is not scientifically correct, but it squeezes the line <laughs> out of the tissue and into the bloodstream. Now, that's not actually what's happening, but it it stirs up the lime so it enters the bloodstream and some of the, or it gets the immune system, I should say, get the, gets the immune system going. So then the antibodies are there, so they test positive. Now, Klingart's doing a new type of test that's much more sophisticated. They're actually testing for the RNA or DNA of the Lyme and other associated 
tick-borne illnesses mm-hmm. and and doing that through the urine. So that's a whole nother ball game there. But that's not the topic of discussion today, is it? <laughs> Don't yeah. let me take over the interview. So let's, so let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. So you. The thing that when you absolutely knew, because before this, you just thought that you had an inky shoulder. So the moment you absolutely knew that things weren't right is you woke up and then you couldn't move your arm. So then what? Then what? Well, then I start scanning back. It's like, what happened, right? You wake up, you can't move your arm. It's like, uh (laughs) uh-oh, what's going on? Now, I had Lyme 15 years ago. Tick bite, didn't know I was bit. However, within a couple of days, had the bullseye rash on my left shoulder. Absolutely have Lyme disease. Got treated with a couple of weeks of doxy, not great, but followed up with some TESOL uh, and some acupuncture treatments, and for the most part, was okay. Now, here's the thing we don't know what attacked the nerves uh, in my arm. It could be viral, it could be viral related to Lyme disease. It could be viral on its own. We just don't know. But because of my history with Lyme disease, I'm calling this a Lyme flare. I'm calling it a Lyme flare. So my immune system was compromised. And I remember in going back after it didn't move, I kind of scanned back saying, okay, my shoulder's now been achy for about two weeks. That's interesting. And I was outside on a cold morning at lacrosse practice. And I remember just, I got chilled. I had the wrong clothes on. I got chilled to the bone. One of those where your bones are cold and your teeth are shivering and I was ready to be done. My feet were wet. I was wet and I was shivering. And so it's a classic setup for Bell's palsy type thing. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I've got Bell's palsy of the shoulder. That's what happened to me. And it, in after all is said and done, that's the diagnosis. It's got a different name, Parsonage Turner syndrome. AKA Bell's palsy of the shoulder, <laughs> right? So right. nerve injury. So you know, the long story is finally went to doctors, Western medicine. Things weren't getting better on their own. They weren't quickly improving. They were staying the same. Went to urgent care first and got a decent diagnosis from the nurse practitioner there. She did a couple tests and says, uh, I don't think it's injured. I think it's nerve related. You need to go to the ER. We don't do nerves at urgent care. It's like, okay. So we're in the ER. They do a CT scan of my neck, of my shoulder. Then they do an x-ray of my shoulder. There's nothing showing up, right? You're just sitting in the waiting room for the on-call radiologist to read the reports. It takes forever. Um, They gave me some high-potency Tylenol. Thank you very much. At that point, this is now, let's see. This This is a couple weeks after it happened. Or a week after it happened. About a week after. About a week after, yeah. At, at this point, especially toward the evening, and I was in the ER in the evening, the shoulder started, my, the shoulder, my shoulder started hurting quite a bit in the evenings. It was, it was painful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about the pain later. Well, yeah. many of you out there know what pain is, so I don't have to describe pain. It just, it just interferes with everything. So anyway, so it's hurting in the ER. We're waiting. They come back. The nurse practitioner there says, well, don't see anything really going on in your neck. They expect it to be like a neck injury, right? Mm-hmm. They, that's how these things normally happen, a neck injury. So I know I had not injured myself. They said, it's your rotator cuff. You need to go see an orthopedic. We have a family friend who's an orthopedic and has a walk-in clinic, orthopedic walk-in clinic. That's so cool. So you walk into the clinic and you get to see the orthopedic, <laughs> you know, just like an urgent care thing, but for orthopedic issues. It's such a great uh 
resource to have in the community. Anyway, so we go into Dr. Dennison. Dr. Dennison does a few range of motions, push here, push here, do this, do that. Within three minutes, and he also looked at my CT uh, reports as well. He looked at the ER notes. He said, it's not your rotator cuff. There's no way. He said, this is neurological, and it's a strange neurological <laughs> thing. And essentially, he was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he said, good luck finding out the cause of it. <laughs> and he said, go find your, you know, go get yourself a, go see your general practitioner. And I said, uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have a GP. I'm I, an acupuncturist. I what do I need one of them GP. for? Right. It's like, oh my goodness. And I had had one five years ago, but she moved out of the area and I was still grumpy about that. So I never followed up and really had no cause to. Anyway, I had a cause to. So here's my first bit of advice. If you don't have a general practitioner, get one. Because that is the gateway into medical care. And if you need one, depending on the region you live in, it again, we found a family friend who was accepting patients. But it took me four weeks to get yeah. in with a family friend. So that's, you know, if you don't have a family friend and you talk in eight weeks, 12 weeks, that's just too long if you have something urgent going on. So even if you never go, just go to your yearly Check up, go get a, if you don't have one, get a GP. You need one just to access the care when you need it, when you want it. So anyway, it's like having a key to the lock. You need, you need. Yeah. So anyway, so finally go to the GP. In the meantime, a former patient and a friend of mine sent me an email. I sent out a, for my patients, a weekly email, Five Point Friday. I do a, well, I should say Aurora does a version for Ninja Nuggets. I do. I do. For the the Lime email list that we have. So if you're not on Ninja Nuggets, <laughs> go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and sign up for Ninja Nuggets. It's a great little email. Five headlines, four headlines for the week, and sometimes we do a special offer or something of interest mm-hmm. that uh, you can – a product that you can take a look at that we really think is a good thing for people with Lime. Yeah. Anyway, enough for the commercial. Love that plug is that plug aside. That plug aside. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the story. So he sends me this information. I've been t- telling people, look, I can't do my practice right now because I can't move my right hand. I can't needle people with an acu. I can't lift an acupuncture needle. Acupuncture needles too heavy. That tells you how bad things were, right? Yeah. It was just completely useless. My arm. So he sends me this information. He says, you know, I've had this before. And I've seen it in my practice. He was a, He's a retired pediatric uh, orthopedic. And I'm pretty sure this is what you have. And it's called Parsonage-Turner Syndrome, named after two physicians. And it's fairly well documented. So I'm reading through the description of what it is. And I'm kind of going through a mental checklist. It's like can't move, you know, groups of muscles in the arm. Yep. The bicep. Yep. Can't lift it, extend it out, check, can move the hand most of the time, yes. One-sided, yes. Hurts more at night, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, and, and it just made sense. And from the physician's point of view, there it's from uncertain ideology, and that's why it's a syndrome. And they said they believe it can be immune system related, 
dun, 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 viral. So that just confirmed my suspicions. It also can happen from injury, and why he was familiar with it professionally as an orthopedic is it occasionally will happen to surgery subjects. Mm. And they think it may be position of the arm, but there seem to be other complicating factors that can make this happen. And so essentially it's a six-month recovery, three- to six-month recovery. And we're at three months now, and I was hoping to be right back 100% in three months. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe four. I'm thinking at the end of August, things should be pretty close. Right. Wise to 100%. Well, let's go back to the what you're saying about the symptoms getting worse at night. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? You know, that's kind of a Chinese medicine thing. And that, that informed my thinking too. So th- with Chinese medicine, they're very aware of there being a body clock and different organs peaking at different times, different meridians in Chinese medicine too. And the meridians that kind of went through the area of my arm that were really bothering me, those were the peak times oh, really? uh, in the evening. Yeah. The, the triple warmer particularly. And, and then the, the heart protector, which goes up through the butt excuse me, through the biceps. So that, you know, that tracked with what was going on in terms of time. So in my mind, it's like, okay, that's involvement. I did early on some initial treatments. And then with the pain, started with ice. Uh, There's one night it's just like, okay, I can't take this anymore. I did get a giant bottle of Tylenol from the doctors at the ER and then a uh, some um, stomach coating thing to protect myself. It's like, you know what? This isn't wor- It's not really helping that much with the pain. And, you know, we'll do, uh, I was doing herbal anti-inflammatories at the time. So I, we, we dropped that immediately. Sorry, doc. But, uh, that's, that's what we did there. And then it was brutal. Uh, the pain kept me up and prevented me from sleeping. I couldn't lie down either on the shoulder cause it hurt right. or on the opposite shoulder cause the the gravity pushing on whatever nerve irritated right. nerve would hurt so essentially I had to sit up and after about a week to 10 days I figured out a, a great pyramid of pillows that I was able to stick my bad arm through I had to move it through with my good arm weave it through and kind of prop myself up and I watched all 12 seasons of NCIS <laughs> And at some point, it started hypnotizing me. I was able to fall asleep for about an hour and a half at a time. Uh, so each night, I would get, I don't know, probably a total of three hours of sleep. And mm-hmm. then during the day, I would crash again and get a couple more. And that, that went on for about two weeks. Yeah. And I lived on the sofa because that's where I couldn't do much more. Right. And then in the mornings, it felt better. And funny, early on, one of the things that helped me feel better was coffee. It, yeah. No doubt, coffee made me feel better in the morning. And in Chinese medicine, coffee is a cold herb. So again, in my mind, it was cooling down the inflammation. And in the beginning, because I thought it was a Lyme flare or, or herbal, herbal related, virally related, I started with the Cowden protocol, right? And went through that for a month, pretty seriously, and went through the whole thing. I I titrated the dosage up more quickly because I didn't have any Herx reactions at all, so I didn't. Go, you know, he increases one drop per day. So after like the first week, I just went up to the full dose for the month, and I think that helped clear out any leftover bacterial things. Right. So there were a few other things you finally did to start managing the pain and treating the pain. So what did you? Oh, it's so right. 
bag of peas, frozen bag of peas, bag the classic, peas. <laughs> the classic bag of peas. So it did ice, and then I, I made my way back to the office to pick up some things that we're going to try with pain. One of them was an LED light array that has 660 nanometer and 850 nanometers. That's infrared and red light combined. And that was almost magical. Uh, that really, even better than the ice, because it could tolerate it longer, um, really helped accelerate the healing and take away the pain. The other thing that we did which Aurora wants me to get to. I can tell she's giving me <laughs> mental visual cues here <laughs> and mental cues is wet cupping. And we posted some of that on Facebook and wet cupping is super interesting because when you get in the area, that's really inflamed, really. So gross. <laughs> I don't know if you heard her whispering there. She says, it's so gross. <laughs> it is so gross. So what, what cup, cupping is suction and traditional way was you created a vacuum with some fire and a, and a bamboo or glass cup placed on the area. And you have seen all these pictures from Michael Phelps in the past Olympics. His back was covered with these purple dots and that's traditional cupping. Wet cupping is you pierce the skin first so it can bleed a little bit. And we're not talking gushers of blood. It just drips out, right? Yeah. And with the pressure, it drips out. A little bit quicker, but again, it's like slightly a, alarming, right? No, come on, it's like a, a, a leaky faucet. It's drip, drip, drip. It's not gush, gush, gush. No, She's, anyway, oh, okay. So my non-medical daughter, who <laughs> not doesn't like blood. I don't like blood either. Right? <laughs> so when when these this technique is used in an area that's inflamed and or infected, the blood congeals really quickly. And it comes out looking a little bit like a gummy worm. Or and a, a, that, a gooey gummy worm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's it's really amazing. And and in area, so you can go two, three inches over where the inflammation isn't present and the blood there's a little coagulation there, right? I mean, because yeah. it has that the, the clotting factors in it, but, but it will still act yeah, like blood. It's it's liquid. When you take the cup off, you need to have paper towels around it and it's just liquid. It's, it's truly remarkable to see the difference there. I So the other thing I had going on with all this time on my hand, I sat in front. I, I pulled a, a limey. I sat in front of the computer and researched and researched and researched. And the, the path I went down is the nitric oxide pathway. That's right. And... I haven't yet written about this, and there are a couple ideas brewing in the back of my mind. I want to do this entire series on nitric oxide. It is at the heart of what's going on with these chronic inflammatory conditions like Lyme disease, whether or not the infection is active. Whether so or it, not the infection yes. is active. So in my mind, and again, so I'm not a scientist. I haven't proven any of this stuff. This is pure speculation. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Talk to your own doctors. So that said, that said. <laughs> I really know what's going on. <laughs> you must believe me. <laughs> I have a direct channel to the truth. <laughs> and it's called Google. <laughs> anyway, at the end of this rabbit hole that you found yourself down. Well, it's not, there's, I'm not at the end yet. And I think okay. I've, we've, we're still, I'm still digging. I'm still digging. So one of the things that happens with nitric oxide 
is there's a certain, and I'm going to blank. This is where I've, I'm not familiar enough to know. There's a certain, so blood, red blood cells come in different configurations, depending on what's going on. There's one configuration and it's called, it's not hemoglobin, but it's another one. But it's a, it's a non-active form of, of the red blood cell. It's like it's not transporting oxygen at this time. It's like a resting phase. And there's a small percentage of your blood that's normally in this state. Matter of fact, there's certain devices that measure this in your blood. The more sophisticated hospital-based, uh, like blood oxygen right. devices, will measure this type of, of uh so here's the thing. You can have 100% saturation, but if you've got too many of these types of blood cells, you're still not getting enough oxygen oh, circulation going okay. on. Anyway, so what happens is the nitric oxide. So nitric oxide can be released in massive quantities, inflammatory quantities, in the face of an infection. Mm. Or other irritation, but mostly in the case of an infection. And when, when this happens, it's one of the body's primary defense mechanisms. It floods the zone with nitric oxide to kill it. And this nitric oxide can penetrate anything, and it's highly reactive, and it will help kill. And that's that's the certain type of nitric oxide uh, created. It's INOS, so mm-hmm. inducible. And the body can create comparatively large amounts of this. When a lot of this is present, it forms, it latches on to this type of red blood cell, right? And right. and forms sticky brown blood. And that's what that's what comes out of the cups. Coagulation. That's what's the yes, that's what the hypercoagulation. And excuse me, my Facebook friend, if you're out there listening, I know there's no medical hypercoagulation term, right? But there's nothing really that describes this state that I know of. If it's not a disease state, it's just a normal state of the blood, but there's too much coagulation in it. So it's not a disease. So we can't call it a disease because it's not a disease. It's the body's natural reaction to these high levels of nitric oxide, which is a in reaction to this infection. So, So that's what's going on with, with this hypercoagulation. And that that got me really interested with this other nitric oxide. So can I talk quickly about nitric oxide again, or do you have another question? No, yeah. no, All I right. would like to know more about the nitric I'm oxide. I'm taking over the interview. <laughs> I'm interviewing myself. So, McKay, tell us more about nitric oxide. Gee, I'd be happy to. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, I was kind of trying to aim you towards this. So okay, please. well, this is, we're in trouble now. <laughs> But we're in trouble for two reasons. One, I'm very, very excited about this and can talk, and I'm still a novice on this, so I don't have the details. So I'm going to drive you crazy, but hopefully it'll spark your interest. So here's the deal with nitric oxide. There's multiple forms of nitric oxide. Now, it's not that there's different nitric oxide, because that's a very, very simple molecule. It's nitrogen and oxygen, and that's all it is. Right. So it's this teeny tiny molecule. It can penetrate any tissue in the body. It doesn't need a transporter. It's a perfect, it's very short-lived. It's a perfect messenger. So it, it has dual functions in the body. It acts okay. as a messenger, and it in these higher levels, it acts as a killing agent. As so a, almost as a like, microbial 
protection from so the body. It sounds like radiation almost, like your own, your body's very yeah, you radiation. Can, yeah, well, you th- right, but there's no, what's the positive of radiation? I guess you can talk on the phone, right? So if well, you think I of it mean, that I'm way. I'm more talking about like radiation therapy and cancers that they can go in and kill a certain place. Yes, you can think of it that way, but I hate to use that as an analogy because really the radiation, we all think, oh my God, radiation. Radiation is bad, right? This nitric nitric oxide, well, it has a a dual focus too, which is very interesting. But you've got me sidetracked already. It turns out there are multiple areas, there are multiple synthase, multiple enzymes that make nitric oxide. Okay. The first that was discovered is the endothelial nitric oxide. And that's what relaxes the blood vessels. It's what allows the blood to flow through the small vessels and the large vessels. It's what relaxes and brings down our blood pressure. It's what allows our hands to stay warm when we're cold. Right. Or when we want, exactly. Or when we need to sweat more and we need to release heat from the surface, Mm. nitric oxide is released. And through this series of chemical reactions, it eventually tells the blood vessels to relax. So it's not a direct effect. Guanase synthase. Anyway, so again, this is where I don't know all the terminology in between the exact progression, but you can look this up. So eventually it gets there. It tells the blood vessels to relax. Right. Right. Now, because it's nitric oxide, it's also doing other things, right? Right. Depending on what reaction like. But that's one of its major things. So that was the first nitric oxide. They won the Nobel Prize in medicine for discovering this. It was the molecule of the year, la, 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 la. Then they figure out, you know, that this is related with um, heart disease. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And later on, they're doing tests and figure out that this heart drug actually works better for old men and erections. So now we've got... <laughs> now we've got Viagra. Now we've got Viagra, right. Now, t- to be specific, the Viagra doesn't affect nitric oxide. It affects the downstream recycling of the, the chemicals that nitric oxide is signaling. So just to be clear on that... Viagra does not affect nitric oxide at all, but downstream. So anyway, so that but that led to to Viagra and that Cialis and all those other similar types of drugs. So that's number one. But then as they do more, they say, "Oh, what else is going on?" Well, they find out there's an enos. No, we just did enos and the no, Then we do an enos, letter N, like in Nancy. So it's a neurological nos. Oh, so that's produced around nerves, nerve cells in the brain, nervous system, and has to do with signaling amongst the nervous system. So the research in that isn't as well developed as the rest, but that has a lot to do with sleep cycles. Okay. Particularly dream deep healing sleep cycles. Isn't that interesting? So Everybody with Lyme them? disease. No, it, it's, it's the REM stage. Okay. It's the REM stage. So without enough nitric oxide, you don't go into REM. Oh, really? Yes. So you don't heal. Hmm. Listen to me. This is super important. Without enough nitric oxide, you don't get into REM and your body doesn't heal. This happens as we age. They've, they've studied this with in rodent models particularly. So what they found is as the rodents age, and assuming as human beings age too, is the body doesn't produce as much of nitric oxide in these small physiological doses from the ENOS, 
from the ennos. So you get cold hands and feet as you get older. Right. You get less sleep. There's less sleep that's going on. So what happens is people can sleep, but they don't enter into the healing sleep. So if a baby has a traumatic event or a very busy day, we know they sleep for crazy. Same with the young child. If they've been out to the state fair for the first time, they're going to sleep forever, right? Right. And that's part of the body's healing response. If you get sick, you recover by sleeping extra. This is It's a rebound sleep that's governed by nitric oxide. This is part of the extra production of nitric oxide when you have an infection response, right? Right. So what happens is that response diminishes over time and you get less of these rebound recovery sleep. So you don't heal as well. You don't heal as well. And I think with Lyme disease, there's a already some dysregulation of nitric oxide. I think that's one of the things that set people up for the chronic Lyme disease. You already have some nitric oxide dysregulation for whatever reason. Right. And then you have this more dysregulation because it's incredibly chronic infection where the body's pumping out this nitric oxide over days and weeks where it's only supposed to be for a couple days with an illness. Right. Right. And you stop your recovery sleep now. Right. And it goes and it just creates this downward spiral. There is a negative side to nitric oxide. Too much nitric oxide over time does damage. It's highly inflammatory. That's, that's the third type of NOS. It's called inducible NOS. So the first two, and actually there's a third, let's back up for a second, mitochondrial NOS. So there's nitric oxide that's produced in the mitochondria. And again, the only reason for that is as a signaling molecule that we know about. And actually it does react and create uh, superoxide. It combines, it creates superoxide and then that combines with, uh, sorry, superoxide is produced by the mitochondria. Right. And then it combines with nitric oxide and produces peroxynitrate. So the kind of the traditional thought of peroxynitrate, it's an inflammatory compound and must be wiped out at all costs. However, it triggers all kinds of other important functions. So your body needs a physical, physiological amount of it. Again, the nitric oxide isn't the exact signaler, but it creates this peroxynitrate, which then goes on and tells the body, okay, we're in an inflammatory state. It's time to start producing anti-inflammatory. And that's the whole keep one system and the NERF2 system. And those are the, Bob Miller talks about about the sprinkler system within the body, right? That these get activated and start producing all these other antioxidants. Glutathione, right? superoxide, dismutase, which is breaking down the superoxide, catalase, which is breaking down uh, hydrogen peroxide, which is a, a byproduct of the breaking down of superoxide. Or is it peroxynitrate? Anyway, one of the two. So it's part of that system there. Right. So it, it takes these inflammatory molecules once they've done their job, signaling, okay, there's some damage being done. We need to produce antioxidants. Right. And then breaks it down into essentially oxygen and water. Right. So to tie this back to your arm, I, <laughs> I oh, <yes>. was... <laughs> when I noticed you... Uh, researching more and more about nitric oxide and the different kinds of nitric oxide was just after we had started wet cupping for you. And you noticed this, um, these super coagulated blobs. And then after the, after you got it, you started talking about, um, nitric oxide and getting, getting that REM sleep, sleep and getting into that healing sleep because that had been a, 
concern for you for it had been almost a month at that point where you were finally you just said, okay, this is what I need to do to be able to start sleeping properly right. again. So what did you do? That because at that point you were kind of like, okay, I've got a thing that I can do. I need to get my nitric oxide levels up. Well, first of all, we tested them, right? We did. We tested them, and my nitric oxide levels were in the toilet, very low, almost zero, very low. And the it's a saliva test, so it's not testing nitric oxide directly, but it's testing a metabolite uh, in the production of nitric oxide, and it was very, very low. Yeah, trace trace amounts. So it began. <laughs> I began with a lettuce fast. So one of the things there there. There's the genetic pathway for creating nitric oxide, and then there's the mouth biome pathway for creating nitric oxide. And then there also seems to be a skin biome pathway for creating nitric oxide. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's also a gut biome pathway as well uh, that we're just not as familiar with. So I took some oral probiotics, Mm -hmm. and I think I have to go back and do that again. Because that okay. seemed to kick things up a little bit. So I've, and I'm also taking some nitric oxide supplements. Oh, okay. As well. And they're helping some, mm-hmm. but not as much as they should. So I'm suspicious that one of the things that may be leading people to this nitric oxide dysregulation and the possible involvement with Lyme disease is that the oral biome has been disrupted in some way. Hmm either with antibiotics or mouthwash or whatever. We've lost the bacteria that convert nitrites into nitrates or I have it back. Anyway, I got this backward too. Nitrites, nitrates into nitrates. And then that gets converted uh, with stomach acid into nitric oxide. Okay. That's one of the ways that the body keeps going with the nitric oxide as genetically we age, we produce right. less and less and less. That's one of the things that happens. And there's the eubiome people, the mother dirt people. The mother dirt. I was going to ask you about that. And they have a spray. Matter of fact, they have a trial going on to lower blood pressure by spraying bacteria on your skin. How crazy is that? But that ties into the nitric oxide. This, I tell you, every time you turn around, if you start looking, nitric oxide is there either front and center doing a tap dance or off stage waiting to do a tap dance. Yeah. <laughs> nitric oxide is it's one or two chemical steps away from all these processes that we see in Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. Well, let's just say Lyme disease yeah. and co-infections. Lyme disease and friends. And friends, yeah. yes. So. So. So you started, you tested, you said, okay, I got to get my nitrates and get my nitric oxide levels up. And then you started with the two-day fast. Yes. So my two-day, so the third thing that really, and this, so the red light helped tremendously with the pain, the ice a little bit. The red light, I thought, helped even more and started kind of kick-starting the healing process. Getting my nitric oxide sorted out help with the sleep patterns yeah. and the healing sleep. And the last thing that I did, and I, this was in combination to help with the nitric oxide, but also to get back into ketosis. So I was in a 
fairly good state of ketosis. I measure my ketones fairly regularly with a ketonics. It's a breath analyzer. It actually measures acetone, which is a ketone. And by proxy, it's measuring the beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is in your bloodstream. There's a pretty good correlation there. So I was in ketosis, just not very strong. Fourth of July comes along. My other daughter's making red, white, and blue crepes at the Hamilton Fourth of July parade, which is Americana at its best. <laughs> True. <laughs> and the red, white, and blue. It was blueberries, white chocolate, and strawberries in a crepe. It was awesome. It was awesome. The white chocolate's a little sweet for me, but it was still awesome. So that started my downhill slope. So basically, I got myself out of any ketosis that I was in. So it's. Fourth of July is over. My sugar binge is over. It's like, okay, time to get serious. We know sugar is not good for inflammation. It's not good if there's any infection going on. Can't be good for my nerves. <laughs> Let's go in. So two-day lettuce fast, salad fast. So I had anything kind of green and leafy and some broccoli. Actually, I had a few carrots too. Lots of olive oil. That was my dressing, olive oil and vinegar. So that was salt and pepper. So very high-fat, low-calorie, no-carbs. No protein. I want to shut down the mTOR pathways. I want to kickstart the ketogenic pathways, the ketone production pathways. Right. And within two days, I was blowing bright red on the meter, which means that you're in full-blown ketosis. Right. And I was also taking some exogenous ketones. Right. Some of the keto OS as well, because I want basically when healing from cancer and other things like that, the higher... You can get your ketones the better within reason. Right. I mean, at some point, it's it's not healthy. But uh, with what we're doing with diet and with a few exogenous ketones, it's it's almost impossible to get too high. I was right. taking one, eat, eating one package a day, maybe yeah. two, not a whole That's lot. That's the therapeutic level. Of- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I didn't do a blood test, so I can't tell you it was 2.7 or whatever the number was, 1.9. I, I don't know what it was, 1.2, whatever. But it was blowing red consistently morning, noon, and night in the ketonics. Once that started, once I got into serious ketosis, and here's the deal, you know, you can get into ketosis by intermittent fasting like I did. You know, we talk about, oh, all these healing foods and the keto OS is expensive. There's no doubt about that. Um, Eating paleo can be expensive. Eating a ketogenic diet can be expensive. Intermittent fasting is the opposite. You spend less money (laughs) on food. And especially if you have lettuce out in your backyard or can forage it somewhere. So olive oil and lettuce is pretty cheap. You can buy, I mean, even even at the supermarket, you can buy one of those big big tubs for three bucks and that'll last you for a couple days. If it's just you, I should say. Well, it lasted, I ate a lot of salad. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing with the keto, once the ketones kick in, you're not really that hungry, which is pretty amazing too. Uh, so anyway, so once that started, the acceleration of the healing of my arm was noticeable. At that point, every day, and it's continued this day, uh, really, I've only not blown red into the ketos, ketonics uh, measuring stick, what, two time, two days in the past 30. So I've been really? red every, yeah, I've been very, very high ketosis. Mm-hmm. So my arm gets better every day. There's something I can do today that I couldn't do yesterday. And it's what's left is kind of getting the muscles to get the elbow up. 
to be able to reach higher. Right. Uh, like yesterday, we were putting up hay. Right. Two days ago? Two days and ago. And we put up about 200 bales of hay, 225 bales of hay. Not a huge job. But my uh, arm was okay. You know, the strength is coming back. Didn't really ever have a problem with the grip, but being able to toss the hay bale a little bit, I was able to do that. Yeah. The other day, I reached for a coffee cup up on the shelf and actually could get my hand up on the <laughs> shelf. I was like, wait, where did that come from? <laughs> so that's really the last kind of thing to do is being able to press my hand up above my head toward the ceiling. Right. Uh, to reach for things above shoulder height. Right. And, and you know, we were painting my office. Yeah. Right? And it did okay. I could hold a paintbrush for a while. At some point, it tuckered out. But it it did it. And, again, the, the keto diet, when I went strict keto, made an amazing difference. It is the least inflammatory diet out there. The less you use the pyruvate glucose pathway, the less lactate is produced mm-hmm. lactic acid lactic acid is inflammatory so when you work out you, that's kind of the rate limiting on the muscles they get sore and tired and that's why you have the delayed muscle soreness also as well right. the body has a process out that lactic acid now lactic acid can also get turned back into fuel so it's not a hundred percent bad Right? right. So, but it has to go to the liver, has right. to get processed back into pyruvate, which then can go back into the cells in the mitochondria. Right. Ketosis bypasses that completely. You're using fat for the fuel, and the byproduct of burning fat is ketones, and the ketones can be used immediately. The beta hydroxybutyrate can be used immediately. Right. And there's also, this is interesting, there's also seems to be the acetone, which this ketonics is measuring, mm-hmm. also seems to be a signaling hormone. So signaling the, for what? Well, it's the research is very, very new, but it's it's signaling different functions within the body. So it may be related to quiet, quieting down mTOR. For those of you who don't know what mTOR is, mTOR is a gene in the body that is essentially the protein equivalent of insulin. Okay. So you've got sugar, triggers insulin, insulin is a growth hormone, shuttles sugar and fat into cells. Right. right, and so mTOR with, so, is with protein. So when protein okay. is high, mTOR goes up. It's a growth state. Okay. So the body, the body, really, the yin and yang. The Chinese weren't crazy. You know, they had some deep fundamental insights. There's yin and yang. So when the yang, the active phase of, of the body, the growth phase of the body is going on, it's building. Like in any construction site, there's trash when you're cooking, there's yeah. trash around, there, the things need to be cleaned up. So you need to pause and clean up. If you just keep cooking, 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 and don't do the dishes while you're doing it, they pile up and you, at some point, you've got a huge mess. Same right. for a construction site, right? You have to pause, quiet down, go into the in phase, let the cleanup crew come in and clear things up so you can keep moving forward. So it's, there's supposed to be a dance, right? right. You're supposed to... Go through, build, grow, and then quiet down, calm down. And mTOR and insulin are on this growth side. You need to quiet them down in order to heal. Okay. In order to clean up genetic damage. Okay. In order to clean up loose proteins that are around. The body will scavenge these loose proteins, proteins, the ends of the DNA and RNA, clean them up and keep your genes healthy. Right. So without those, you start getting genetic issues going on, replication issues with that. So mm-hmm. you want to – so fasting is a great way to do this. Now, I'm not an expert. I'm not your acupuncturist. I'm definitely not a doctor. 
So if you're going to try any of this stuff, you need to do your own research. You need to talk with your healthcare professionals. Don't just start a diet and a fast, right? It can also cause some harm Yeah. in terms of just how you're feeling, right? A one right. or two day fast isn't going to kill most people. It might kill somebody depending what's going on. So don't just jump in there. Do this with your eyes open. Get some help. Yeah. Don't do it alone. Yeah. But in the meantime. Check out. This is what. <laughs> But no, seriously, this is this is what helped you. And it wasn't just any one thing. It was the combination of this. It was the combination of the infrared light to manage your pain. It was a combination of looking into this, I, this INOS and this nitric oxide to look into managing your sleep and getting your sleep back on track. And then it was getting serious about a ketogenic diet to seriously look at reducing the inflammation that you were bringing into your body via food. Absolutely. Yeah. There are probably a dozen other right. interventions that we did right. on and off during or since this has all started, but I would say those are the top three. Right. Without a doubt. Those are the top three. Those are the big gorillas in the room all right. that made the big difference. Yeah. And they're fairly easy to implement. Yeah. They're fairly easy to implement. Yeah. Aurora, and <laughs> not bad for, is this your first interview, second? Uh, Did well, you do one before? Uh, no, this is my first one. Well, this is my first yeah, one interviewing yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody you. Everybody give so. her a hand. <laughs> Snap your fingers if you're out there listening. <laughs> and that was my first time interviewing Woo-hoo. for Lime Ninja Radio. Woo! Yeah. At first... <laughs> You did a great job, Aurora. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I tried. Oh, that's just, there. There were a lot of tangents, but I tried to keep them. Tried to bring it back on on topic every now and then, at least. Right. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Aurora. And last, we're just going to wrap this right up real quickly. As you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know? Some people can ride their bikes with no handlebars, but ninjas can ride handlebars with no bikes. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.